Content warning. A science experiment described in this episode involves animal testing and rodents. If that makes you uncomfortable, this might not be the episode for you. Imagine you're a researcher, studying the effects of e-cigarettes on mice, and your work gets posted to r science, a subreddit with over 25 million subscribers. Not only does your work get posted, but you also see that it has a karma score of 19.3k. Excitedly, you click the comment section to see what people are saying about your work. This study is trash. Who funded this research? There are some seriously stupid, smart people. Now, I don't want to overgeneralize. These comments only show up when you sort by controversial. But even so, this article caught my attention because so many people in the comments were doing exactly what I had hoped people would come away from my podcast doing, evaluating science. So in this episode, I'd like to take a look at the arguments, evidence, and conclusions that the original authors made in their paper, as well as the counter-arguments presented by the Reddit Hivemind, and I want you to evaluate both of them. Ready? You be the scientist. Last episode, we talked about an advertisement pushing the use of probiotic supplements for overall health. Deciding whether to buy a pill that may or may not work pretty much only comes with one tangible, immediate downside. Your money. But today's topic is a bit more serious. The Center for Disease Control describes e-cigarettes as being potentially beneficial for cigarette smokers who are not pregnant if used to kick the habit of smoking regular cigarettes. We know traditional cigarettes are pretty bad. You smoke them by burning tobacco from the tobacco plant and inhaling the toxic fumes. E-cigarettes are thought to be less harmful because e-cigarettes don't involve inhaling burning fumes, but rather an atomized mist of various chemicals instead. Now the words thought to be less harmful are doing some serious work here. The CDC warns that scientists still have a lot to learn when it comes to the long-term effects of using e-cigs. That brings us to this paper titled, Electronic Cigarette Smoke Induces Lung Adenocarcinoma and Bladder Urethral Hyperplasia in Mice, or to simplify it a bit, e-cigs cause cancer in mice. Science paper titles are nice because they've already told us what they're going to try to prove. As we go through the methods and the results, let's keep asking ourselves this question. How well does the science support the claim that e-cig vapor causes cancer in mice? The NYU-based scientists divided their mice into three groups. Group 1 gets exposed to e-cigarette vapor. Group 2 gets exposed to what is called a vehicle. A vehicle group is a special type of control group where they are treated exactly the same as the experimental group minus the ingredient that the scientists think causes the effect they're interested in. In this case, the vehicle can be thought of as e-cigarette vapor minus nicotine. The power of the vehicle control is twofold. You get to see whether the ingredient you think is having an effect, in this case nicotine, is actually having an effect. You also get the benefit of figuring out whether the stuff other than nicotine is having an effect. The last group of mice, group 3, is allowed to hang out normally in the mouse house, being exposed to filtered air. The word exposed as in exposed e-cig vapor, vehicle vapor, or filtered air, is doing some heavy lifting. How exactly were these mice exposed? In this paper, 
These mice were exposed by being in a chamber for 4 hours a day for 5 days a week for 54 weeks at a rate generated by commercial e-cig atomizers. Here's what the authors found. In the group exposed to e-cig vapor, out of 45 mice, 3 mice died during the experiment. Two additional mice had to be euthanized due to inactivity. Of the remaining 40 mice, 9 mice developed lung tumors. None of the mice that died or were euthanized during this study had lung tumors. Of the 20 mice exposed to the vehicle, the vehicle being e-cig vapor minus nicotine, one mouse was found dead and another had to be euthanized due to a paralyzed leg. None of the remaining mice had lung tumors. In the group exposed to ambient air, out of 20 mice, two mice were found dead. Of the remaining mice, one mouse had lung tumors. Those were just the facts. I want you to spend the next music interlude section really thinking about what conclusion you can draw from how the experiment was done and what the results are showing. And as always, I'll summarize the main points, hopefully without removing too much information. 1. Two groups of mice were either exposed to e-cig vapor or e-cig vapor minus nicotine for 4 hours a day, 5 days a week, for 54 weeks, at a rate generated by commercial e-cig atomizers. 2. The third group was allowed to hang out in the ambient air. 3. Some mice in each group were found dead. None of the mice who died or had to be euthanized had lung cancer. 4. Of the remaining 40 mice exposed to e-cig vapor, 9 developed lung tumors. 5. Of the remaining 18 mice exposed to e-cig vapor minus nicotine, none developed lung tumors. 6. Of the remaining 18 mice exposed to ambient filtered air, 1 had lung tumors. Before I ask you to come up with some conclusions, let's just take a moment to practice some good scientific hygiene. Let's acknowledge our current feelings towards the matter at hand, as well as our current level of expertise on the subject. No human can be fully free from their biases, but acknowledging that those biases exist can hopefully help us mitigate them. I'll start. I admit that I don't really have a stake in this area. I know almost nobody who smokes either traditional cigarettes or e-cigarettes, so I would consider myself to be minimally emotionally invested. My general existing impression is that e-cigs are probably safer than traditional cigarettes, but I acknowledge that prior to doing research for this podcast, I know of no direct evidence for or against this claim. I don't study e-cigarettes or cigarettes or anything to do with cancer. However, the research that I do do as a graduate student is done in mice. What about you? How do you feel about e-cigs as a whole? How much do you actually know about e-cigs and their safety? How much actual primary research have you read? It's important to keep in mind your personal limitations to avoid making claims about research you can't back up. Now that we're in the right headspace to be as objective as possible when it comes to analyzing science, if you had to summarize the conclusion in a way that nobody could possibly disagree with, what would you say? I'll give you some guiding questions. 1. What can you conclude about the effects of e-cigarette vapor in mice? 2. What can you conclude about the effects of e-cigarette vapor in humans? 3. If you had to continue or add to this paper's research, what is the next question you would like addressed? 4. How would you design an experiment to test your question of choice? 5. Do you agree with the author's statement that e-cigarette vapor causes cancer in mice? I'll see you in 45 seconds.
so there appears to be a variety of different strong responses from the Reddit community. The power of science lies within its ability to generate significant consensus. How could there be so many different takes and interpretations on a piece of science? To round out this podcast, I'll offer my take on the paper as well as respond to some of these Reddit posts. To quickly review, there were three groups of mice, one group put in a chamber with a high level of e-cig vapor for several hours a day for five days a week for a year, another group was exposed to e-cig vapor minus nicotine in the same way, the final group got to hang out in ambient air. More mice in the e-cig group got cancer than in any other group. The authors then conclude that e-cig vapor causes cancer in mice. If you watched the last episode, you will already know what the term validity means. But in case you haven't, or if you've forgotten, validity describes whether the scientific evidence appropriately supports a conclusion. The authors concluded that e-cig vapor causes cancer in mice. If you ask me, I think that the authors successfully showed that e-cig vapor does in fact cause cancer in mice. Now before the pitchforks come out, I will address what is maybe the most pressing issue with this paper. These mice were basically swimming in e-cig vapor for hours, for days, for a year. No human in their right mind would choose to consume e-cigs in this way. And I have to agree. If the authors had said that they proved that e-cig vapors were harmful to humans, they would be laughed out of a job. Here's a direct quote from their paper. Quote, in summary, we have shown that electronic cigarette smoke exposure of mice induces lung cancer and bladder urethral hyperplasia. Our data simply suggest, on the basis of experimental data in model systems, this issue warrants in-depth further study in the future. End quote. Which makes this aggressive Reddit post seem weirdly agreeable. Quote, They had the rats surrounded by vapor for hours for like four days out of the week. They subjected mice to vapor for far greater times than a human ever will. Also, mice are not humans. Mouse studies have long been criticized for the lack of actual resemblance to how anything would affect humans. This comment is spot on. Again, if the authors had claimed that this was dangerous to humans. Mice are tremendously useful in the medical science pipeline as they are mammals whose genetics are straightforwardly manipulated. Mice represent an important component in the team that brings you up-to-date, cutting-edge medical knowledge. Their value cannot be understated, but as many Reddit comments are correctly saying, their value should not be overstated as well. But what about the fact that these mice were exposed in such a bizarre way? Here's where I have to bring in a bit of knowledge from expertise. Oftentimes, when a problem is just starting to be researched, papers like this one will try their hardest to get an effect even if their methods do not have the most real-world application. Let's think about experimental design here. Say you aren't actually sure if e-cigs are harmful in mice. Would it make sense to design a more modest exposure? Say the real rate of e-cig vapors causing cancer is low, but still statistically significantly higher than ambient air. If the base rate of a mouse getting lung cancer is, say, 3%, and a modest exposure to e-cigs increases that rate to 5%, how many mice would you sacrifice to learn that? How many hours and tax dollars would it take? These exploratory studies are out to find an effect for other studies to build off of, not to have the final say on their field itself. Now if you buy that the authors have evidence suggesting that e-cig vapor causes cancer in mice, we can move on to evaluating the quality of their methodology and data. Let's take another Reddit comment as an example. 
they also make their control sample sizes really small, only 20 mice, and then don't correct for this in the stats. Perfect example of p-hacking. Now I think this is an interesting comment for several reasons. This comment refers to the fact that the group exposed to e-cig vapor had 40 mice, but the other two groups, the control groups, only had 20 mice each. The Redditor describes these 20 mice groups as being really small, and say that this is not corrected in the statistical analysis. Here's where I admit to my shortcomings. I am not actually a statistics whiz, but what I do know is that one size does not fit all when it comes to sample size. Let's say your experiment was to determine whether a group of humans that is allowed to get close to a stove can better tell if a stove is hot over a group of humans that is forced to just sit 20 feet away. Do you really think you need to test 20 people to have a statistically significant argument? The number of samples an experiment would need to achieve statistical significance differs from experiment to experiment. To calculate roughly how many mice you would need, a combination of accepted level of significance, the statistical power required to prove an effect, the actual effect size and variance within a population are needed to calculate what a reasonable sample size would be. It's not an unusual occurrence to see the control group size be smaller than the effect group either. And while I'm not sure if this is super kosher to do, doubling 1 out of 18 mice to 2 out of 36 mice gives us a rough estimate of whether we should be worried about the control sample size. 9 out of 40 mice seems a lot bigger than 2 out of 36 mice. So here's where we'll practice some good scientific discussion hygiene here. I did not do the power analysis on this paper, so I can't say for 100% certainty that 20 mice are not enough for this experiment's control group. What I can say, however, is that this Redditor's comment failed to convince me that sample size was an issue here. Again, they could be totally right, it's just that I'm not really buying it from the comment. Also, the last sentence here is pretty golden. They say that this is a perfect example of p-hacking. P-hacking has become somewhat of a buzzword associated with shoddy science. But what is p-hacking exactly? P-hacking refers to when a researcher takes a look at many relationships until statistical significance is reached. Dr. Matt C. Howard explains it with a real-life example. In his study, he asked a group of people to predict the outcome of a totally random event and collected various parameters about them, including things like self-esteem, extroversion, gender, age, neuroticism, and more. What Dr. Howard found was that gender was a statistically significant factor when determining the ability to predict the future. Now, if we're all in agreement with the basic principles of how the universe works, no living individual has a statistically greater chance at predicting random events of the future than any other person. But collect enough random parameters about people and there is a chance that there happens to be a random association in your data that may look statistically significant. Is this paper guilty of p-hacking? Did this paper take a bunch of random associations and mix and match them until significance was found? Let's take a look at the research focus. Studying the effects of e-cig vapor in mice. They look at the formation of tumors within the body. A reasonable hypothesis for anybody studying the inhalation of e-cig vapors would be that e-cig vapors affect the lungs. This paper shows that they did. I don't think this paper is guilty of p-hacking. The commenter clearly felt as if the research was poorly done. If I were to edit this comment in the spirit of scientific discourse, it would be to simply change their comment into a question that other experts can address. Is the sample size of 20 mice in the control group sufficient for this experiment? 
I'm having fun, so let's take a look at another one. I'm a research biologist. My main experience is with aging, but I have worked on cancer biology in connection with aging. Having said that, this study is trash. I smoke these things myself and know that they can't be good for you, but a 9 out of 40 ratio in an unrealistically extreme environment tells us nothing, particularly without a positive control group, mice exposed to a similar amount of cigarette smoke. I am shocked that this hot garbage made it into PNAS, which is quite highly thought of. Sure, vapes need further study, but this one almost looks like it was run by an undergrad as his first experiment and never reviewed by anybody. Yikes. Whoever said that science is always objective and unfeeling needs to have their hubris checked. Let's analyze the argument made by this angry Redditor. First, a 9 out of 40 rate of developing lung cancer in mice in an unrealistically extreme environment tells us nothing. I disagree. In fact, the commenter already says what this paper says. In extreme environments, 9 out of 40 of these mice got lung cancer. That's technically not nothing. But something tells me this Redditor would disagree. Second, this study lacks a control group where mice were exposed to tobacco smoke in a similar fashion. If you've been keeping up with the theme of the last podcast, you may be able to predict what key word I'm about to say here. We'll say it together. Ready? Three, two, one. Validity. Did the scientists in this paper set out to prove to anybody that e-cig vapor is safer than cigarette smoke? No. This brings us to the reoccurring theme of this episode. Scope. This Redditor is projecting their desires for information onto the researcher. The scope of this study is extremely narrow. Does e-cig vapor cause cancer in mice? That's it. Nothing about the relative risk compared to tobacco. The authors acknowledge that tobacco smoke is super duper bad. In the last paragraph of their study, they write, It should be noted that tobacco smoke is a most dangerous environmental agent to which humans are commonly exposed and that e-cigarette smoke may or may not pose any danger to humans. The public should not equate the risk of e-cigarette smoke with that of tobacco smoke. Our data simply suggest, on the basis of experimental data in a model system, this issue warrants in-depth study in the future. End quote. But what this Redditor is touching upon is one of the question prompts I provided to you earlier. What is a future direction you would like to see this research head towards? It is perfectly fine to want more out of a paper. In some ways, authors use this feeling of want to get parties to remain invested in their careers. An interesting follow-up study would be to compare the effects of e-cigarette vapor to that of tobacco smoke in mice. Thankfully, another commenter pointed out the nature of this exploratory study to this commenter, and this commenter followed up with, Edit. I retract what I said about asking for a positive control as a reviewer. As this user pointed out, this is only meant to be an exploratory study. I would have liked a positive control because I would really like to be able to see a sort of magnitudes of bad for you continuum. Maybe I'm a little too emotionally attached to this one, as I used vapes to get off the cigarettes. It worked great, but now I'm on my 7th or 8th try to get off nicotine altogether, and I guess I just really want to know how much damage I'm doing to myself. At least with cigarettes, I have quantitative data to look at. Now this is a class act. I wanted to highlight this article early on in my podcast to humble every one of us. We are all guilty of letting our biases interfere with how we interpret information. Every single person 
no matter how much training or perceived intelligence, views the world through a certain lens crafted by experience and emotion. I'm guilty of doing this too, and as a teaser for future episodes, I have, in the past, been manipulated into believing harmful things that were not true but seemed to support my existing beliefs. And don't worry, we're going to get to those spicy studies later on. So if we accept that every single one of us is susceptible to this kind of bias, let's just remember that we will all look smarter for realizing our biases and correcting our mistakes. Let's wrap up. So I've analyzed the arguments made in this paper as well as arguments made by Redditors, and now I have to give this paper an evaluation. To me, I think of three main things when it comes to judging the quality of a paper. One, is the topic of this paper worth our tax dollars? Is this paper properly motivated? Two, how much did this study contribute to our overall understanding of the field? Three, was this paper's conclusion truly supported by quality data and methodology? So, does this paper deserve our tax dollars? Let's take a look at one more Redditor's comment as a response to this question. Breathing anything but air leads to cancer, that's just how it is. I just took a big puff on my hookah and it can lead to cancer. I can't believe people thought there was a safe alternative to smoking. It is clear that this Redditor believes that this research is somewhat redundant. Do you agree? I happen to disagree. Not every paper gets to be stained glass or gilded gold. Some papers are bricks on top of which bigger scientific papers can be built upon. Not only that, but even if we were sure that e-cig vapor was harmful in humans, wouldn't it be a good idea to study how harmful e-cig vapor is? What if in the future there is a new product that smokers could wean themselves on? Wouldn't you want to compare the new product and e-cigs then? I happen to think that this paper is well motivated. The second point is to evaluate how much this paper contributes to our overall understanding of the field. As someone who does not study lung cancer in mice, this is an easy one to answer. I have no idea. I feel like maybe this paper could have been more ambitious, but then again, I'm not in this field and I don't feel right making that judgment call. Onto the data and methodology. As I mentioned before, being surrounded by e-cig vapors for hours for a year is not your typical vaping experience, and so the data have to be interpreted with extreme caution. The authors conclude that e-cig vapor does cause cancer in mice, and I have to agree with this simple sentence, as yes, although the conditions were extreme, being exposed to e-cig vapor did increase the cancer incidence when compared to vehicle or ambient air. So while the result is not super satisfying, as it tells us very little about how e-cig vapor interacts with humans, it is what it is. So is this paper the killing blow big tobacco is using to screw over vape companies? I'd say that's a pretty extreme interpretation considering the authors themselves have made it very clear that they believe tobacco smoke is much more harmful than e-cig vapor. Rather, in my view, this is a small exploratory study meant to show other scientists that if they invest their time studying this problem, successful papers may ensue. Would I call this a bad paper? No, in my opinion, this paper is just small and meant to be interpreted with extreme caution doesn't make it useless, just not as useful as you want it to be. So what's the take-home for today's episode? Keep in mind that scientific studies often have extremely pointed and narrow questions they want answered. Be careful not to over-interpret what you read. Be aware of what you know and what you don't know. And finally, don't be afraid to ask for help. Here's my obligatory, we did not prove or disprove that e-cig vapors are harmful. Go to a different program if you want to learn scientific knowledge. All we've done here is look at the arguments presented within this one instance of science. Just be aware of that. 
And that concludes our second episode, but our first full-length meaty paper deep dive. I hope you enjoyed the pod this time, and remember, you can check out my website, ybtspod.com, for the scientific reasoning quiz, the full catalog of my episodes, as well as extra thoughts and reflections that didn't make it into the pod. If you want to suggest a topic for the next podcast, you can get at me on Twitter at ybtspod. Music was done by Stybix, that's S-T-Y-B-I-X, and you can find them on Fiverr. I'll see you in the next one.